Here's one of the things about magnifying the Lord is, right? If you sit on your spiritual couch as a sloth day after day, man, God's not gonna like force you to do it. Like at some point, you gotta take some initiative. At some point, you gotta seek Him. At some point, you gotta obey. At some point, you have to choose to say out loud, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, even when you don't feel it. But to say it by faith and praying, the feelings then would come as you base your faith on what is back. Hi, everyone, and Merry Christmas Eve from all of us here at Live in the Light. Hey, we realize that Christmas is still a day away, but as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the real meaning of Christmas, we get to look once again at Mary. That's right. Today, we are in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, and there are such powerful truths in these verses for us today, no matter where you are. Maybe you're excited for tomorrow, or maybe not so much. Maybe this year is thrilling and that you get to celebrate with a new addition to your family, or maybe it's not so much as you remember the loss of someone very special this year. Whatever place you find yourself in, be it in a season of happiness or something much less, there is reason from God's word for great joy today. Mary gives us this kind of great perspective in Luke chapter one, and we pray that the Lord uses his word again in your life today as you prepare to celebrate him also. Let's turn things over to Pastor Robbie right now with today's teaching. Uh, Right now, he wrote this down. He goes, uh, the worldly distractions are becoming very small and God is becoming very big. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm like, man, like, like, John, that's like the whole sermon this weekend. I said, can I take a picture of that? Because I want to make sure this, like, this is what blows me away from this. Is here, here is a, a dear, dear friend, brother in Christ, who has received very, very difficult news. And is, but all, all of a sudden, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the reality, all of a sudden, the things of the world will strange lead him. All of a sudden, his God becomes what? This is perspective personified. This is what's happening. And I say to him, it's like he's having a hard, hard time even, even talking and being able to be understood. So he's writing. I said, John, because I just saw it happening in front of me. Isn't it ironic that at the time, and this is the ways of God, at the time you're having the most difficult to speak, your voice has never been louder. Like even right now, his impact of this statement upon y'all this weekend. That's how God works, isn't it? And the glory and the power of perspective as it flows through our lives to see so clearly. Because what I saw in John, brother John, this week, I looked at him and I just, I was so convicted. And I was just like, I'm just seeing, like nothing else matters now. All that stuff doesn't matter. All those things that used to matter, it doesn't matter anymore. What matters is the Lord. What matters is his way. What matters is his glory. What matters is living for him. And the freedom then to be able to do that because you see so clearly. I'm telling you, the reason our lives can become so stagnant and we're bounding our head off the wall over and over again because we can't see 
We've been blinded by the spirit and the God of this world. And our lives become ineffective and unfruitful. But when we see clearly, it gives birth to, John had me in tears this week because the passion I saw in him in the midst of such a, a tremendous, I mean, tremendously difficult situation. But look at the Lord and look at what he does. And then you have Mary here, man. She's, she's seeing as clearly as she's ever seen before. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Oh God, grant that to us. Holy Spirit, grant that to us. Please, please, Lord. We can't do without you. We can't do this without you. Magnifying the Lord can be tough, man. It can be hard. I'm telling you, though, I'm telling you, your intentional decision. Here, here's one of the things about magnifying the Lord is, right? If you sit on your spiritual couch as a sloth day after day, man, God's not gonna like force you to do it. Like at some point, you gotta take some initiative. At some point, you gotta seek him. At some point, you gotta obey. At some point, you have to choose to say out loud, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, even when you don't feel it. But to say it by faith and praying, the feelings then would come as you base your faith on what is fact. How many times this week, man, I've been in a battled state. I've been going through so many different ups and downs in different ways. And I sense the opposition among us. I sense the battle. I sense the great accuser, Satan, all that stuff. I sense the wretchedness of my own sin. I see it. I hate it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My soul magnifies the Lord. Because the more I magnify him, then the more, the more, the more life comes into focus. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for forgiving people like me who fail you every day. And your kindness and your love is so steadfast and your patience and your mercy. And you will give passion again to those who trust you and seek you and seek to see you as you deserve to be seen. This is the power of perspective. Number two, perspective is so powerful because it accentuates my blessing. Okay, I want you to notice, okay, Mary here moves, or at least what perspective does is we learn here, perspective moves us from grumpiness to gratitude, from complaining to celebrating, from haughtiness to humility, from self-centeredness to selflessness, from entitlement you go from saying, I deserve all this to be like, I don't deserve anything. I'm unworthy. From bemoaning our lives to saying, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. Look at, look at verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Wow. For behold, now on all generations will call me, me, me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Can you believe it? It's like Mary saying, can you believe it? This mighty and holy God, he's done great things for me, peasant girl from Nazareth. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So I want to highlight three main blessings of God that Mary is speaking of here. It'll be on the screen beside me. I want you to see this. Uh, number one, notice the blessing of God's attention, of God's attention. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, Mary is saying, and all generations will call her blessed. This is one of my favorite places to be. It hurts. He said, what kind of place? It's a place of, of brokenness and awe when you see God's grace that is applied to a wretch like me. Okay, here's what I know, okay? I know apart from Jesus Christ, I'm in hell and I deserve to be. I know apart from, I mean, really, when you really start to unpack the sin of my life, oh my goodness. And even like today, I deserve eternal punishment for my hatred against God and my love of self. 
and my pursuit of everything that seeks to satisfy me and me alone and my anti-Christ past and anti-gospel and and just idolatry of man. I deserve to die. I deserve it. And yet what have I been given? In Jesus Christ alone and by his grace, And because he gave his son at Christmas to die for my sins ultimately and to be raised from the dead, I have now been given grace and mercy and forgiveness and cleansing. I'm adopted into the family of God. I am a sheep who belongs to the good shepherd. I am guaranteed again the pathway to heaven. I will never die. I mean, really, when you hold those two things up as a mentor taught me many years ago, what do you receive and what have, or what do you deserve and what have you received? And you start looking at what you deserve and you say, what I received? And you're just like, wow, I'm blessed. Like you're not holding your hand out now as the genie for Jesus and saying, give me, give me, give me, give me. You're like, is there anything else I could possibly receive than what I've been granted already in Jesus Christ? This is where Mary's at. Mary's like, God's looked, his attention has been set upon me. And by the way, Mary says in verse 47, my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Why would Mary, just if there's any, 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 any people, maybe from a Catholic background in the room, or we have friends and loved ones, why would Mary call Jesus her savior? Because she's a sinner. A sinner doesn't need a savior or a sinless person doesn't need a savior. A sinner needs a savior, right? So we don't worship Mary. We don't pray to Mary. We don't venerate Mary. Mary's not some co-redemptrix along with Jesus Christ. Mary, if she could speak right now, and she is, she would say, man, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Mary's to be honored. Mary's to be followed in her example of worshiping Christ as our savior. But don't pray to her. Don't worship her. She would hate that. Mary is a sinner like you and I who sees the reality of the only savior of the world, which happens to be, again, her son, Jesus Christ, who for some reason that we don't understand, God chose her among the billions of women who ever lived and allowed her, a peasant from Nazareth, a nobody of nowhere and no one to be chosen, not because of her merit, because of God's grace, that she could be used in this way. And after Christ is born, Mary still becomes a nobody. She's a child of God. She's a sister in Christ, but so are we. You see, it's the fact that God's attention has been upon her. It blows her away. All generations will call me. She's like, me, me? She's not like, we'll call me blessed. Yeah, me, look at me. No, no, no. She's like, me? I can't believe it. I'm this 13-year-old girl from nowhere. Me? Unbelievable. Look how awesome God is. That's what's happening in the text right here. That's what perspective does. And you and I, in our right frame of mind, we should walk, if we're alive in Jesus, not everyone's alive in Jesus Christ right now. You can be, you can be by grace through faith. We who are alive in Jesus Christ, we should walk around right now and be like, me, me, I'm saved. I can't be looked upon me. That is awesome. I love this thought. The moment Jesus Christ returns, I believe this is gonna happen in some form, in some way. Jesus is God and he can do whatever he wants. How exactly, I don't know, but I believe it. On some level, Jesus Christ returns for those remaining on the earth, or when you, again, when you enter into heaven and see him face to face, all of us on some level alive in Jesus Christ, there will be a moment where the gaze of Jesus will meet ours. His eyes will lock with ours. His his fixed attention, his infinite gaze of love, he'll lock eyes with you 
He'll lock eyes with me and he'll say, whether audibly or communicate spiritually, and he will be, you are mine. And all of eternity will burst from you as you fall down and worship and understand that you belong to the Father because of the Son who lived and died and was raised from the dead. And when those eyes meet yours, oh, what a moment that will be. And that is not an exaggeration of some fantasy. That is biblical truth and reality is coming to every person because you can say, is there any greater blessing than having the eyes of the Savior of the world look at me and communicate that I belong to the kingdom of heaven and the family of God because of what he has done. Let me ask you, what do you want for Christmas this year? You've gotten everything already. There's nothing more you could ever receive than what was just described to you in Jesus Christ. The power of understanding how much we are blessed in him. Mary's going through this, man. She's like, whoa, my soul magnifies the Lord. I rejoice because he has looked upon me. And all generations will call me blessed. I want you to see the blessing also. I want you to see here God's goodness. God's goodness. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Notice he who is mighty, God almighty, and then the God who is holy. And then sandwiched in between this, is like, he's done great things for me. Can you sit here right now and say, God has done great things for me? I mean, you should be able to, if you're alive in Jesus Christ and what you just heard, man, like every single one of us should be like, that's pretty great. In fact, this is the mindset of all the greatest saints who have ever lived. Uh, Psalm 8, David says, what is man, O God, that you are mindful of him? What is man that he's mindful of us? What is the son of man that you would care for us? Why would you care for us, God? Why would you care for us? David also says in 1 Samuel, he says, who am I? I, love, I just love these verses. Who am I and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? Isn't that a powerful thing to say? That you could stand before the Lord where you are representing your house and be like, who am I? Who am I? And what is my house? Who are we? Who are we to have come this far on any level at all? Who are we to know Christ? Who am I to have a wife that loves the Lord? Who, who am I to have children being raised in the ways of God? Who are we? What is this? And you have brought him. What, what is this? It's all grace. It's all blessing. It's all undeserved, unmerited, unwarranted. Grace and goodness of God. See, when you see with perspective, all of a sudden, man, you're not complaining. You're celebrating. And you're not grumpy, man. You, you, you are so grateful. Could you be any more blessed in the reality of Jesus Christ and the gospel. That's the heart of Christmas right there. God's attention, God's goodness, God's God's mercy. Look at verse, verse 50. And his mercy. By the way, um, all through this song, Mary is, it's, it's riddled with scripture. Just shows you like Mary was trained in the word. Like, like the Holy Spirit is using what was in her. You get saturated with the word. And when the time comes, the Holy Spirit lifts from your soul what you have placed within it. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you, right? And here's Mary and the Holy Spirit. Every verse basically is some kind of reference to other scripture. And verse 50 is a reference to Psalm 103. The mercy of God. And yet mercy is not getting what we deserve. 
Christmas is ultimately getting what we don't deserve, the grace of Christ coming, but then Jesus Christ dying on the cross, bearing our punishment, that we would not get what we deserve, punishment and wrath upon us. Where grace and mercy meet. And see, Mary, she sees so clearly, she sees so clearly and she's like, wow, God is so good. God is watching me and God has given his mercy to me. Perspective takes us to number three. Perspective is so powerful. I love this because it shouts out, it shouts out God's sovereignty. When I see clearly, I see that God's on his throne and he is sovereign. So um, notice this in verses 51 to 53. And by the way, notice too, all throughout this text, um, eight times Mary says, he has, he has, he has, he has, he has. I mean, who's ruling God? Who's in control? God. Who's sovereign? God. Who's the one that's going to orchestrate the events of then and now? God. Who's control the future? God. He has, he has, he has, he has, he has. Now, I borrow this from Kent Hughes. I loved it so much, okay? I want you to notice three things that shout out God's sovereignty in verses 51, 52, and 53. First of all, in verse 51, notice, okay? Under God's sovereignty, there's gonna be a moral reversal. You say, what do you mean? Well, verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So in our day, the proud um, are in positions. The proud exalt themselves. Uh, think of the celebrity culture we live in. Think of just those who are promoted. Think of the people uh, in positions of authority. Um, the, the proud are the ones who get the attention. The proud are the ones who seem to have all the favor, okay? What, what, what Mary is prophesying right here, okay? And in the past, this has happened all through scripture and will continue. God is sovereign. There will be a moral reversal, meaning the proud ultimately, they will be humbled eternally and the humble will be exalted eternally. Loved ones, take encouragement from this. God is sovereign over our entire world. The day is coming soon when the complete moral reversal will be seen for what it is. But notice this, there's also gonna be a social reversal. Look at verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Think of who's on the thrones of this world. Think of the politicians. Think of the royalty. Think of the important people. Think of those in positions, again, across our world, in government, and companies, whatever it is. And think of, again, the privilege they think they have and the power they think they have and the esteem they think they have. Think of the arrogance and the pomp and the pride. Think of all of that. And God says, just wait, just wait. A day is coming soon where that's all going to be turned upside down. Okay, the people that are trying to kind of take control of everything, they will be so just kind of be encouraged by this. God is encouraging you. Spirit of God is encouraging you right now. We get so concerned, we get so worried. We look around all the injustice. That is going to be dealt with. The day is coming, Jesus Christ will return. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, okay? Those in these positions, again, think of all the people maybe you're so frustrated with. If they don't turn to Christ, man, they're in trouble. They're in trouble, and the smallest, weakest, most forgotten, disdained, persecuted, abandoned person on the side of the road who loves Jesus Christ, they will have the first spot in the line to heaven. That's awesome. That's what the Lord does. His sovereignty. There's going to be a moral reversal, a social revolution. And notice this, there's going to be a spiritual Reversal as well, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich 
He is sent away empty. You know what that means? It means this. If you live for the world, this is your reward, man. If you're living for earthly riches, if all you want to do is kind of attain and, and gather some more stuff here on earth, you'll be sent away empty because you store up treasures on earth, man. Moth and rust will destroy. However, if you are spiritually hungry, and if you hunger again, hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be satisfied, Matthew chapter five. See what Jesus is saying here? You live for the world, hey, just enjoy it because it's, that's, that's all you got. That's your reward, man, it's done. If all you're living for right now is that, just again, enjoy it as much as you can, but it's hard to enjoy because it gets so empty so quickly. But the day come when Jesus Christ returns and it's all seen for what it is, boop, zero, nothing. But then in Jesus Christ, when you hunger for spiritual things, there's a waiting, there's a perseverance, there's a, there's a cost to that. It's difficult at times, isn't it? And you're trying to seek him and can you hunger for him, but ultimately we're satisfied now and we'll be satisfied then. How much Mary's prophetic word aligns with the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed essentially are those who are nothing, for they shall become everything in Jesus Christ. And those who think they're something, they will be humbled to find out they are nothing because they have rejected Jesus Christ. The sovereignty of God shouting out through the Christmas story. Not to mention, by the way, a real practical biblical example of God's sovereignty in the Christmas narrative. Luke 2, verse 1, Caesar Augustus calls a census. He's the most powerful ruler in the world at that time, at least in his eyes. God is sovereign over him. Why did Caesar Augustus call a census? Well, the reality was because he's really a puppet of God. And what really needed to happen was uh, God's son being formed in the womb of Mary was currently in Nazareth. And as was prophesied and promised hundreds of years before, his son was to be born in Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah and to, and to see those promises and prophecies fulfilled. And so when the time came, Caesar Augustus in his pride probably sends out an order. But in reality, this is God working again over all of this earth to orchestrate his plan according to his will. And that's why we have Micah chapter five, verse two, again, prophesied hundreds of years before this happened. Oh, you Bethlehem Epaphrath, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler, Jesus Christ in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And remember, Caesar's Augustus, you will do a census because this prophecy needs to be fulfilled because our God is sovereign over this entire world. Now think about it now as well, okay? We're living in a day. We're tempted with fear and worry and anxiety, and we're looking at our culture, and we're looking at society, and we can start biting our nails, and we become so concerned of all that's happening around us. But remember, the same God who sovereignly orchestrated the first coming of Jesus is the same God who's sovereignly orchestrating the second coming of Jesus. And could it be that the very things we are most distraught over across this world right now are the very elements of the hand of God in ways that we cannot see, where he is preparing for his son to return and finally deal once and for all, for all sin and injustice and death itself forever. And we, when we see him come riding on the clouds and we see our God is sovereign, our God is sovereign, let the reality of the future become your blessing in the present, that there's nothing our God's not in control of and no one can thwart his plans. Thank you for clapping, I needed to breathe. But think about what's happening right now, right? 
Look at what's going on according to our awesome God. What happens is when we see this, like even right now, so many of our minds are being renewed, even mine as I do this for the third time. When you see this, you're like, it's, it's just true. It's true. You're so good. And you're on your throne. And you're reigning with your feet up. And you're not biting your nails. And you're not pacing with anxiety like we do. No, you are perfectly in charge. And we worship you because of it. That's why Mary sings. She's never seen so clearly. And all of a sudden, fear flees. And peace and faith and rest fills the gap. And that leads us to our fourth and final point. Just briefly, perspective is so powerful. This all makes sense now because it rests on God's promises. I did, even that word rest, rest, who's restless? Like who here right now, man, you're so burdened and just so filled with anxiety or stress or just like, or who here right now, you just don't have peace. Like there's just no peace. And you are biting your nails and you are pacing around all the time. And I want you to see, maybe we come to this moment right here. The more clearly you see, the more rest you will have. But notice resting, the, the, the whole thing that Mary's doing through this whole thing, she's basically just calling out a promise. And then she's like, yep, true. God promised this. Yep, true. A God will always be faithful to his promises. If you look at verse 53 or 54, God has helped his servant Israel just as he promised in remembrance of his mercy, just as he promised, as he spoke to our fathers, as he said and promised, to Abraham, as he promised, to his offspring forever, as he promised. Notice what she's doing. She's applying the faithfulness and promises of God in the past to her present, and now looking ahead to the future, offspring forever, okay? Who are Abraham's offspring? Everyone who is alive in Jesus Christ. The spiritual offspring of Abraham is everyone born again in Jesus Christ right now. And so the promises of God are true to Abraham, they're true to Mary, and they're true to us. When you, when you, there's over 500,000, there's 5,000 promises in scripture that God makes and he'll keep every single one. The more we gaze and fix our eyes on the promises of God and the more we trust in him and who he is and who he says he is and what he will do, the more we find rest. Jesus says, Matthew 11, come to me all who are heavy and weary and I will give you rest. He's, He's talking about ultimate salvation. And I will give you rest. Perspective. Perspective. Like, it's so powerful. And in the end, the more clearly we see, listen, the more loudly we should sing. Because we have every reason in the world. Hey, this, um, this next seven or eight days, Less chaos, more Christ. You know, less busying ourselves around and like more perspective. Use this as a launching pad right now. The final question I ask you, and then I'm going to pray is this. The question is this. What is the Holy Spirit asking of you right now? I mean that in all sincerity. Maybe you want to close your eyes right now. Maybe you just want to bow your head. Maybe you just want to stop everything and just be like, and just again, the Holy Spirit is alive and real. He loves you infinitely. He wants to speak to you. What is the Holy Spirit asking of you right now? 
Holy Spirit, speak to your church. Take some time, loved ones. Just, just take a few seconds. What is the Holy Spirit asking of you right now? And remember, at some point, at some point, obedience is absolutely everything. To take the initiative, to pursue our God, to see Him, to love Him, to have passion for Him, to declare His sovereignty, to be aware of His blessing, and to stand and rest and rest on His promises. If you'd like to hear this message again or the rest of the messages from this series, you can find these free resources and more on our website at liveinthelight.ca. That's liveinthelight.ca. If you'd like to get a copy of the entire series, make sure you phone us at 1-844-22-LIFE. That's 1-844-225-4448. Our mailing address in Canada is 500 Great Lakes Boulevard in Oakville, Ontario. Our postal code is L6L6X9. I'm Craig Turnbull, and on behalf of Robbie Simons, we invite you to join us again next time on Live in the Light.